even though that's part of, certainly in terms of how we've been made, part of our creational design, uh, as is everything else in this world, both the physical and the spiritual are fallen. Both are broken. For instance, you go to the doctor, and the doctor, you know, runs you through the test, and you have the checkup and all that stuff, and at the end of that, he or she says to you, looks you right in the eye and says, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, I'm sorry to tell you, but, I mean, you should have known this coming in, but your sleep patterns are a mess. It's just erratic all over the place. Your exercise regimen is non-existent, and your nutritional habits, well, you need to lay off the fried Oreos. Uh, there are some issues here, and you know that, and so you know there is some correction to be made, some changes to be made, but you're confused as to, as to how to do that. And you don't know, and of course, that's what got you into that mess, right, is, is the fact that you don't know how to care for yourself physically, so now they're telling you the changes need to be made, but you don't know what to do. So, okay, that's the physical, moving to the spiritual now. And, and oftentimes, the stuff, we're a mess there as well, if we're honest. And, and oftentimes, in that arena, it comes out in our relationships. And most especially, in the struggle that we all have to forgive, we have an intuitive sense, down deep, down, down deep even if we're resisting, an intuitive sense that we need to forgive wrongs done to us. But that said, there's a lot of confusion in our minds, a lot of mixed messages in our culture as to what in the world does forgiveness entail. And so again, we're somewhat adrift, not knowing exactly, have a sense of, okay, I need to do something, changes need to be made, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to proceed, where to go. Well, take heart. Because on the one hand, to be sure, while the Bible is very clear, the Lord himself is very clear, that we are commanded to forgive. He doesn't just leave us with a bare command. He gives us counsel and guidance as to how to do it and how to proceed, what it looks like. So that's where we're going to go over the next few minutes. Uh, this is something of a sequel to last week's message. It's something of a part two to where we were uh, last week. Uh, Fresh ground, but building off of what was, was said before. Matthew 18 is where we are. So if you've got a, a Bible, I'd ask you to turn there now with me. Uh, this is uh, Matthew, Matthew being the first of the four Gospels, the first of the books of the New Testament. Matthew 18, what we're going to do is I'm just going to read again the text that we were in last week because it's so vital, so important. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, this is oftentimes known as the parable of the unforgiving or unmerciful servant. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Hear now the word of God. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have mercy with me, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, have mercy, not just on our unmerciful hearts, but on our unteachable minds. We are stubborn and slow to learn, hard of hearing in many respects. We ask that you would teach us, even, even to the degree that we recognize there is a, a need, an a absolute need, um, an obligation to forgive. We are struggling to know what that means, and we ask that you would instruct us. We ask that you would train us. We ask that you would speak from your word to our hearts over these next few minutes and make us into the forgiving people that you've called us to be. Pray in your name. Amen. Let me give a, a recap uh, from just last week, okay? A recap of, of what we talked about, just a quick summary of this parable and the, the main essential point of what Jesus is driving at there. And it's basically this. We must forgive the sins of others against us without limit because God has forgiven us our sins without limit. That's, that's the, the core point. That's the, that's the essence of, of that parable. We must forgive the sins of others against us without limit because God himself has forgiven us our sins against him without limit. Because of our sin, like we see here in this parable, we have amassed this unimaginable, unpayable, unimaginable, unpayable debt. And he, in his mercy, to us through Christ has canceled that debt and set us free. That has to be then the lens through which we see the sins committed against us by others. That has to be the lens through which we see, we recognize that whatever it is, however grievous it may be, it by comparison is the so much lesser debt and demands that we forgive it. That's the clear, you just can't get it underneath, from the, underneath the, the thumb of, of the lesson of, of the story and what Jesus is saying. It's, it's absolutely foundational. Whatever else we might want to talk about in terms of what the Bible has to say about the topic of, of on the horizontal level, uh, you know, driven by the vertical, the vertical forgiveness of God impelling the horizontal forgiveness of ours, to one another, whatever else we might want to say about this topic, that is a foundational principle. As a foundation, it's not meant to say everything. It's not intended to. It's can't, it surely is not Jesus' intent to, to, that this would be the exhaustive last word the, or, or only word. It's a foundational, but there's more to be said. There are other issues, other concerns, other questions that, frankly, this 
parable even raises that are worth considering. We ought not to ignore those questions. We, not, we ought not to just pass by them as, as, as though they're not there. We rather, rather, we should press into them. Jesus has called us. It's very clear. Jesus has called us to be a forgiving people. We need to think through what that means. He's called us to be a forgiving people. We need to think through, wrestle through with, with what that means. Now, this morning, you can see it there in your outline, in your bulletin, it's basically two points, two questions, two very basic questions that, that we're going to just kind of drill down into over the next few minutes. And the first is just, what is forgiveness? Well, that might be worth considering. What is forgiveness? What is this thing that we're talking about? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, what does it look like? What does it look like to forgive? Basic, essential things that we need to, to wrestle with. Now, just as a disclaimer here before I go any further, and, and that's simply this. For those of you who have been a part of this church any time at all, and you, perhaps in the past you've been through one of the studies that we've done through Peacemakers or Relational Wisdom 360, some of what I'm going to say is going to sound familiar to you. Two reasons for that. One, this is just the water in which I swim. And so it just, I can't help it. It just comes out in terms of expressing it in those ways. The second thing is, is, is this, and it's basically just simply that we never graduate. We never graduate from the basics, the essentials of biblical conflict resolution. We forget, we leak, we slide back, we rebel, we chafe, even though we know it's the right thing, all of that, we desperately need to just keep coming back to this again and again and again. Okay, let's go. First question, what is forgiveness? What are we talking about? Uh, imagine for a moment, because we're going to start negatively in terms of a, of a definition. We're going to start with what it isn't before we move into what it is. Imagine that you have been sent to a, you're a contractor, and you've been sent to a, a building site to begin this project, to erect some big edifice of some kind. And you arrive on the scene, and you're there with your crew, and you're supposed to start building, but you come there, and you find it's just filled with junk and trash and rocks, boulders, trees tipped, ripped apart, and it's just a mess. What is the first thing you need to do? You need to clear the debris. Before you can start to build, you need to clear the debris. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to clear the debris, clear the field just a little bit of what forgiveness is not, because there's a lot of confusion on this point. Three things, just real quickly, I want to say, but the Bible is very clear on this score. First, forgiveness fundamentally is not a feeling. It's not a sentiment. It's not a feeling. It's an act of the will. It's a, it's a decision and a series of decisions that you make to forgive. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling, not fundamentally. That may follow, but that's not what forgiveness is in its essence. That's the first thing. Forgiveness is not a, a feeling, nor is forgiveness excusing. To forgive someone is not to then say, oh, it's okay. And how many are, you know, confessions or, or expressions of, of reconciliation if you've heard that go like that. Oh, it's okay, or what you did wasn't really wrong. No, it's not okay. It's not okay, and what you did was wrong, and that's why we're talking about forgiveness. That's why forgiveness in that case is necessary. Forgiveness, biblically speaking, is honest, and it's the only path forward for actual healing. So forgiveness, biblically speaking, is not a feeling, it's not excusing, and this may surprise you, it's not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgetting is passive. 
Forgetting is just, you, you, it slips from your memory. Let enough time go by, and you have forgotten. Forgiveness is not remembering. Huge difference between those two. It's not passive, it's active. It's a refusal to remember it. It's an act, it's a decision. For instance, it's exactly what God does for us. Isaiah 53, excuse me, 43. Isaiah 43, you see this expressed very clearly. How, what does his forgiveness of ours, of, of us look like? Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The Bible does not say God forgets our sins. It's not as though he's in heaven and he's absent-minded and feeble, and it just slips his memory. He refuses to remember them. He refuses to hold them against us. That's a crucial distinction between forgetting and, and not remembering. Some other Old Testament images, I'm just going to you know, kind of sidelight here, that are helpful to, to keep in mind in terms of what God, how he describes, how he pictures for us what his forgiveness of us looks like. So Psalm 103 is another place to look. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. Uh, very helpful, stirring, stirring to the degree that we're hearing this. Isaiah, one, excuse me, Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Can you measure that? It's an infinite distance that he has removed our sins from us. Or the book of Micah, Micah chapter 7. It's one of the, towards the end of the Old Testament. You've got a few books left, though. But Micah chapter 7, right at the very, very end of, uh, of the book of Micah, Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. What else does the Lord say? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread, get the graphicness of this, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I wonder to what degree we're hearing that. To what degree we actually believe that this morning. That that's how he sees our sin, or you could even say doesn't. Doesn't see our sin against us. Okay, so negatively speaking, that's something of what forgiveness is not. We don't want to stop with that. We want to, oh, that, that would be helpful. But we want to push forward a little bit. So now we've cleared the field of the debris. How can we build? And what would it look like to speak positively of what forgiveness actually, what it actually is? It begins with simply this, and you see it coming out of Matthew 18. It is a debt that has been canceled, or the cancellation of a debt. One of the Greek verbs that comes out again and again and again through the New Testament is this word, aphiomi. And aphiomi means roughly something along these lines. It means to release or to let go. And in certain contexts, it definitely has the, the, the idea, the connotation of the cancellation of a debt. The payment of a debt, it's, 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 it's paid in full by another party. By another party. 
It's canceled. That's one way that the New Testament speaks of it. Here's another way that, that kind of gives us a, a, a fuller, nuanced picture of this, and that is the, the word charismai, from which we get, well, it's charis and grace and such, but charismai would be, it is a free, a, a favor, blessing that is bestowed freely and unconditionally. Undeserved. And it fits under the camp of forgiveness. So, so what do we have so far? It's a, a debt that is canceled with undeservedly so. The debt has been canceled undeservedly so. And one last thing, and this comes up again in Matthew 18 in this parable, at great cost. At great cost. It is free. Forgiveness is free to the one who is receiving it, but it is never free to the one who is extending it. It is costly. We talked about this last week in terms of this thinking about the three-act drama of this parable. And in the act one, in the forgiveness that is extended, the cancellation of the debt from the king to the first servant, it's written off. This unimaginable, unpayable debt is written off by the king. You had to think, now there's no mention of a treasurer or an accountant here, but if there was, he's going crazy at this point. Because these funds are never going to be recovered. This comes, takes a huge hit on the royal treasury to just write this off, to write off this insane debt. But that's what we see in terms of an, a, a graphic picture of what forgiveness is. It is the undeserved cancellation of a debt at great cost. That's your definition, loosely speaking. It's the undeserved cancellation of a debt at great cost. Now, how do we apply this? Well, if we understand this, this sense in which there, when sin occurs between us, a, a debt has been incurred, hurt has been done, hurt has been caused, harm has been done, then, then what we can, we understand then that if there's debt incurred, a payment one way or the other has to be made. A payment of some kind by someone has to be made. And so that means we have a choice before us. We can either take payment or we can make payment. There's really no middle way. So to take payment in the sense of so wrong has been committed against you, Harm done, hurt caused, you've been sinned against. One option is to take payment, and that would look like this. That would be to dwell upon it and nurse the wound, pick the scab, uh, to, to become cold and aloof towards this other person, withdrawing from the relationship, maybe even just giving up on the relationship, maybe going so far as to gossip about them and plot your revenge. That's to take to extract payments. Actually, what you see with the second servant, right? That's option one. But the other is to make payment. That would be to absorb the debt ourselves. To write it off. To take the hit. And not demand anything at all. And that would be once initially, and depending on the degree of the wound, perhaps repeatedly within as it's brought to mind. 
and you keep, if you will, having to make the payment as opposed to taking it. Again, we are called to be a forgiving people. Jesus calls us to be a forgiving people. We need to wrestle through, think through, what does that mean? What does that look like? Which takes us to the second point. What does it look like? We've got something, if we've got to have a definition here in, in view, so it's the, the undeserved cancellation of a debt at great cost. If that's the definition, if that's the destination, if that's our vision, if that's where we're going, how do we get there? What are the steps that we have to take? What does it look like? Well, the first thing we have to do before we go any further is ask a question. And the question is, should this be overlooked? Is this something that actually demands a confrontation? Or is this something that I just need to deal with within? And believe it or not, the Bible speaks to that. And there are cases in which that is absolutely not just appropriate, but right. The book of Proverbs speaks of this again and again and again. Proverbs 19 is, is one classic text on this score. Proverbs 19, verse 11. You need to think through. Should I go to this person about this? Proverbs 19, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So clearly there are times in which it is warranted not to charge in there and you know, confront, but just to let it go. Let it go right there. Now, now how would we know? What would be some things to consider uh, on that? Well, first would have to be the context. There's a lot we could talk about there a long time, but one, one thing to think about in terms of context is what are the circumstances under which it took place? The stressors in play. Who, who was there? What was involved? How bad was this? The context. Or is this a pattern? Is this a pattern of behavior or is this a one-off? A lot of things to think about there, but, but in terms of the context. Also, the parties. Who was involved? Who was involved? And, and in terms of your relationship with them, has this formed a wall of separation between you? Something where it's affected in a negative way, the way you think and feel, speak towards them for some period of time, even just a couple of days. That's one thing to consider. Not just that in terms of parties, but in terms of harm done. Is what has taken place caused harm to God's reputation? A lot of different things come into play there. Is what has happened, is what took place, is it causing harm, brought harm to other people? You know, what are the ripple effects here? Or is it harming them? The, the offender themselves? Does it cause harm to them? These are all things to consider. Going back to, we're talking about overlooking. Should I overlook this? Those are some things just to consider uh, on that score. Okay, but let's say it's, the answer to those questions is not no, but it's, it's yes. It's caused harm. It's caused you know, barriers, issues, all these things. So I have to proceed. Then what do you need to do? Forgive. Forgive. And when we forgive, biblically speaking, when one person says to another, I forgive you, we need to understand what that means biblically. Ken Sandy, uh, in his wonderful work in The Peacemaker and also uh, kind of a, an edited version, abbreviated version of that larger work, Reconciling Everyday Conflict, breaks it down into four promises. Four promises that we are making when we say to another person, I forgive you, it's also found on the back of this 
pamphlet that we've been talking about over the last couple weeks. It's out there on the information table. Peacemaker principles. Please, if you don't have one, you, you, you need one. You need one. This is just a great uh, overview of some of the things we're talking about. It's right there. The four promises of forgiveness. One, I will not dwell on this. If you say, I forgive you, you're saying these four things. One, I will not uh, dwell on this incident. Two, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Three, I will not talk to others about this incident. Oh. Four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us and hinder our personal relationship. We are saying those four things when we say, I forgive you. Ken's wife, Corlette, has helpfully summed those up in a more of a metric, metrical kind of way. Uh, and in her work with children, the young peacemaker, and there's the quotes actually in your quotes and notes, she takes those four and just boom, 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 boom. Good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, friends forever. Good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, friends forever. That's not just for the younger ones in the room, folks. Everybody needs to memorize that. We all would do very well to memorize that and put it, to pra put it in practice. Those are the four things that we are saying to another person when we say, I forgive you. You know what else, though? You know where that's patterned on? When God says of us, I forgive you, he's saying exactly the same thing. We are simply, our forgiveness of one another is not just impelled by his forgiveness of us, but it is patterned after his forgiveness of us as well. Okay, so that's what we're saying. But what if, what if this person, you know, ideally repentance and confession would be a part of this. But what if it's not? How do we forgive in that case? What do we do in, in that case? Ideally, it would be a, a part of the, the, the process. But what if it's not? And this is a crucial thing that we need to, to consider and, and wrestle with. And the scriptures are, are quite plain on this. There are two stages to forgiveness. It's two stages to forgiveness. Jesus speaks of this in Mark 11. Mark 11, verse 25, he speaks of what we could call, of what we could call a positional forgiveness. Mark 11, verse 25. Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Did you hear the unconditionality to what Jesus is saying there? We're not talking about their response at this point. You forgive. It's a positional forgiveness. It has to, it's unconditional. It has to do with your attitude, our attitude towards them. It has little to nothing to do actually with our relationship with them, and it's everything to do with our relationship with the Lord. In terms of how we regard them, how we regard them, the lens through which we see the sin that they have committed, we, we, we are standing in a position of readiness, of readiness for this relationship to be reconciled. And it's, you know, it's talking about the first promise of forgiveness, good thought, or not dwelling on it. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is speaking of here in terms of this unconditional forgiveness 
first stage of what biblical forgiveness looks like, we are, 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 are standing in a position of doing that, ready to see the whole thing reconciled. That said, that's done. That position is held with the hope of the longing for the second stage, what we can call so positional, moving to transactional. And Jesus speaks of this as, as well. It's where you start to see some conditions in place. 17, Luke 17. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Hear the conditions? And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Or you could go back to, to Matthew 18, the text that we've been looking at for, for a couple weeks now. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, going back to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago in terms of how the Lord cares for his own through his own, when one of us strays, it's incumbent on the rest of us to go and approach them, to, to rescue them, if you will. And part of that is this process described in verses 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And then it goes on from there. If, then, if, then, if, then. The, unlike the positional for stage of forgiveness, the first stage, this transactional stage is conditional. It's conditional in their response. It's dependent on their response, on their repentance, on their willing to own and confess what it is that they have done. With that, full reconciliation can take place. And that's what we should long for. That's what we should be praying for. That's what our hearts should be aching for. But it's dependent on their response. And that's where the second, third, and fourth promises of forgiveness, whether with Ken or Corlett, come into play there. That's what forgiveness looks like. Okay? So the definition is, it's the undeserved cancellation of a debt at great cost. What does it look like? We have to think through that first question. Should I overlook it? Do we have to think through the four promises? Am I ready to extend those promises? And secondly, as I do that, and we need to understand the stages, the stages that are involved in this process. There's so much, I'll come back to the, the, pro, the stages. There's so much confusion on this point. My, in my experience in doing conflict coaching and mediation at various levels and contexts, there's so much confusion on this point. And I'm not just talking about out there, I'm talking about in the church. And, and some of it is because... it. I, what Jesus says in one place seems to contradict what he's saying in other places, and we don't do the hard work of thinking it through. How might those two things be integrated and synthesized together? And so we walk away thinking, Jesus talks out of both sides of his mouth. He's confused. I'm confused. He doesn't understand interpersonal relationships. He doesn't understand how hard this forgiveness thing is. He's naive. We then become cynical as that hoofed foot is now in the door and we begin to think, he doesn't know what he's talking about with, with anything. And so we won't even listen to him when it comes to his admonitions and commands to us, especially regarding these hard things pertaining to forgiveness. If we would only understand these two levels and what he has in mind for us. So, so you know, how, how else can we forgive? Say, if someone is not just slow to confess and repent, and so they're, they're unwilling to, but they're dead. 
How about that one? And so they can't. I'm talking about literally. You have a father or a mother who wounded you, and they're not alive. How does forgiveness, the, the conditional kind, come into play? If that's the only kind you understand, if they confess, if they repent, then you forgive them. How does that work? Unless you understand the first stage, the positional side, the attitudinal side, where we are, that's where Jesus commands us to let it go, to, to, to make that payment. That's what sets us free from the bitterness and the resentment that otherwise will imprison us and cripple us for the rest of our lives. You've seen that. I've seen that. Perhaps some of us are in this room right now are feeling that, experiencing that. We can forgive when we understand the full orb nature of what it means. But if I forgive them, does that mean I can't ever mention it again? Isn't that a violation of one of those promises you just mentioned? Well, okay, those are meant to be not mechanical gears, but relational guides, those promises. Think with me, if someone, if it's a deep-seated struggle, someone you know and love and care for is struggling with anger or lust or greed, and there's one particular, there's an incident, and you work it through and you've forgiven them, and again, because it's deep-seated and sanctification is not all at once, it is progressive and slow. And we are stubborn. And so there's a, a relapse, if you will. Does having forgiven mean you can't talk about the relapse? No. In fact, it would be tremendously unkind and foolish, unloving, not to talk about it. And you need to think through your motives. And you need to check your frustration. And you need to season every word with kindness. But help them to recognize this is not just a one-off. This is a pattern. Let's talk about this. Does forgiveness mean, another question that comes up, does forgiveness mean there are no consequences? No. It does not, not necessarily. Not necessarily. It can, but not necessarily. Just think through how God treats us. You see that time and time again in the Scriptures, right? Old and New Testament. Sometimes he will allow his people to taste something of the consequences, if for no other reason to help teach us, and perhaps even to warn others. It's a wisdom issue to know exactly how do we put a couple of examples. Your teenager, uh-oh, your teenager violates the family rules with the smartphone. Does this just sound like crazy hypothetical? You parents need to think about taking the phone away. Just saying, the consequence. You got an employee embezzles money. You forgive them. May need to call for restitution, however, perhaps even a termination of their job. Doesn't mean you don't forgive them. It's a case by case thing, it's a wisdom issue. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it is what we're called to be and to do. We're called to be a forgiving people. We need to wrestle this through. Um, let me just end with this. There was a lot more I wanted to say, but let me just end with this. 
There's a lot that's been said over the last few years. I'm sure you've probably heard of this. The power of forgiveness. A little preposition I'm going to play with here for a minute. The power of forgiveness. Absolutely true. I mean, if you've experienced it in the context of, of a relationship, the transforming effect that that can have on a family or a friendship or a workplace or a neighborhood or whatever it is, the power of forgiveness to transform relationships, uh, to transform our witness and the testimony that we have to the watching world as they see, oh my goodness, see how they love one another. Even a transformative effect, the power of forgiveness upon our own physical health. There's been a lot that's been written about that. Power of forgiveness definitely is worth considering. I want to land on this. The power for forgiveness. The power for forgiveness. Which takes us right back to the parable. Do we know that we are the first servant who owed the king the unimaginable, unpayable debt and at great cost to himself, he given it? It's tread underfoot, it's buried in the heart of the sea, and he refuses to remember it. That is the foundation. That is the fundament. That's where we begin. As the Holy Spirit brings that and presses that upon our hearts and causes our hearts to awaken and be aflame to that reality. That is the, the power for forgiveness. Let's pray together.